Welcome to the NICU Today podcast, a podcast to give families a new point of support as they navigate the NICU journey. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you enjoy your podcast and share this episode with anyone who might find it helpful. Our guest today has experienced not only the NICU, but also a heart condition that has impacted her family in so many ways. She's here with us to share her family's story, lessons learned, navigating the unknown, and so much more. Welcome, Danielle, to the Today is a Good Day podcast. Thank you, Martha. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your family, your family's journey to starting a family. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll definitely, I'm sure, talk more about um, our genetic heart condition as we move forward. But uh, my family does have a genetic heart condition called long QT syndrome. It is an arrhythmia. Um, So when we talk about my journey of starting a family, um, my husband and I knew we wanted children. Um, But we were unsure about what starting a family would look like for us. you know, it was one of the first things I told him about myself after we met. He was probably surprised I didn't scare him off. Um, but I needed him to know um, about the ways that this could, you know, possibly affect me and, you know, starting a family in the future. Um, so we talked about seeing a genetic counselor, a surrogate, adoption. We talked about a lot of different options. Um, however, I did end up um, getting pregnant and had my first daughter and that is where our journey started. Um, We have three daughters now. um, But um, yeah, so that's kind of where it started. Um, You know, as far as, you know, going back a little bit, um, I did lose my my mom to a genetic heart condition we have um, when I was three months old. Um, So postpartum is a very high risk time for us. Um, And so during, you know, she was in that postpartum period um, when she did, have a, a fatal arrhythmia that she was not able to be um, to come back from. So it's definitely something that we take really seriously, um, but we have some great doctors and good care. Can you tell us a little bit about the genetic heart condition that your family has? Absolutely. So yeah, so long QT syndrome, it's actually a mutation on the um, one of the potassium channels. And there's, I think there's now they've maybe identified, I don't know, I want to say 20 plus different specific genetic mutations. But to give a really basic um, example of what long QT syndrome is, you have the actual heartbeat itself. So that's kind of the up part of the heartbeat. And then you have that flat part. um, And that's the recovery period. So your heart beats, it recovers, and it beats again. Um, That recovery period is the QT interval. And my interval is too long. So what that means is my heart is still recovering from the previous beat when it attempts to beat again. When that happens, my heart gets super confused. (laughs) And the higher your heart rate is, the higher chance it is that 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 could happen. Um, And then there's, um, you know, it could go into what they call torsades, which is um, where really it's a very hard arrhythmia to get out of. Um, So that's, you know, in a few sentences, what is actually happening. Um, so the length of your QT interval, the longer it is, the more high risk you are. And mine's this is the, really oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, mine's really long. My daughter is long, but like not as long. So it's kind of, we can look at it that way. And this is a genetic condition, but it's something you can be screened for as well. Correct. Yeah. So it, um, I actually, um, for me, I had an EKG and they, 
they caught it on the EKG. Um, it can be diagnosed that way, but I had genetic uh, testing done so I could tell exactly what type I had um, because there's different triggers for each type of long QT syndrome. So we know what our triggers are. Um, our triggers are things that are ridiculous because we can't control any of them. So hormone changes being one of them. So for women, that's really tough. Um, and um, startle is another one. Mm. And then um, any emotional, emotional stress. Mm -hmm. So they're all things that are really hard to, um, to really control in one's life. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the hormone piece of it, just talking about your journey to starting a family, yes. but you've experienced the NICU, the cardiac ICU, the PICU with your children, with your daughters. Talk to us about those different experiences. What was the difference? What did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my three daughters has long QT syndrome. Um, however, um, the only way at birth that we could really get any type of reading of what was going on with her heart was through an EKG. Um, genetic testing takes a little bit to come back. Although we did that with cord blood, um, we didn't have the results. So they had an EKG done. Um, if it was abnormal, they were darn well going to the NICU to be monitored really closely. Um, so um, my so although only one of my three um, has the condition, um, two of the three had abnormal EKGs at birth. Um, so the I will say that for me, um, the cardiac um, intensive care unit was this very scariest. Um, the the PICU was the loneliest, I would say. And then the NICU itself was the most streamlined, but I did see the most gaps there. Um, and so my, I would say the longest journey I had was in the cardiac um, intensive care unit with my daughter who does have the long QT syndrome. Um, we actually, you know, our story is not typical in that we got to bring her home with us. Um, so she came home with us. Um, however, we got a phone call and um, it was the day after Christmas. I remember like at 8.01 a.m. the day after Christmas and it was like, you need to get in the car and get your daughter down to CHOP now. And we're like, okay. So we packed on up and went down and um, I wasn't even prepared. And, you know, we didn't even think what to, you know, what to bring or what we'd need. And my husband and I were like, do we both go? So he drove us down. He dropped me and my daughter off. He, you know, my parents watched the kids. He came back. We, it was kind of a whirlwind. Um, and, but it was just, it was scary. She was getting, you know, she was being down there to be monitored, um, initiation of new medications, which can affect um, sugar levels and a lot of other vitals. So there was a lot that they were looking for. Um, so there was, there are a lot of little things I didn't even consider. Like I brought all pajamas that had that zipped up. So mm. like she, I was lucky that I have a baby that was able to wear clothes and that was fantastic. And I, but I needed snap pajamas. So thank goodness mm -hmm. I had a village and I was like, somebody bring me pajamas with snaps <laughs> um, so we can get all those cords and wires. Um, but the, you know, when those alarms go off and you don't know why they're going off and all of that, that's, I think what's made that part the scariest for me. Well, I, I think you brought up such a good point. It's something as simple as bringing zip up pajamas 
to the hospital thinking, oh, this works. This is what my baby's going to be in. And to think about really needing those pajamas that are magnetic or are snaps or Velcro, something that you can move the wires in and out of, the monitors in and out of. It's so important. When you think back on those times in the cardiac ICU, in the PICU, in the NICU, what were the different ways that you advocated for your girls in those different scenarios? Yeah. So honestly, it looked very different for me, for each of my children. Um, When I had my first daughter, I didn't know I could advocate. I was 24 when I had my first daughter. I, I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know what I could ask for. I didn't know what was available to me. Um, so what I found, I look back now and I think my feelings and my needs came out as frustration and came out as maybe maybe not so nice. And I think I'm a, I'm a nice person, I think, but maybe came out not so nice. I was hormonal. I was, um, I was separated from my first daughter. Um, I was um, taken to the cardiac unit. She was there in the NICU and I was so I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to leave the cardiac unit. They wouldn't let me leave. Not even, and that's something I didn't know I could ask for. Like, can you give me a monitor that can move with me that I can take? Mm-hmm. Yes, they had those, but I didn't know I could ask for it so I could see her. So um, I didn't see her for maybe three days after I had her. And it was, you know, it was really tough. I didn't know that I could ask for someone to bring me a breast pump. I I didn't know that. Um, So by the time, and lots of advocating happened with my second daughter, obviously, by the time I had my third, I was proactive in advocating. So before... I had her, I set up a meeting with the neonatal team. I set up a meeting with the, um, the electrophysiologist that would be, um, and team that would potentially be there on staff that would be taking care of me. Um, I made sure that as long as my daughter was stable, they could do that initial EKG bedside as opposed to taking her from me. Um, so those things I knew that I could ask. So I proactively advocated before they even happened. Um, so it was already kind of set in motion and they knew those were expectations I had as long as it wasn't, um, you know, hindering the work of the doctors and nurses because they're busy and they're doing their very best to take care of, of me and, and my little one. And so, um, you know, I think knowing the who, what, where, when, and why of advocating is really important. Um, and I'm really passionate about, about that and, um, and helping others to do that when they're not sure how to. What do you tell someone? I, I totally agree with you. When we were going through the NICU, we've had so many conversations on the Today is a Good Day podcast with different guests who also did not know the questions to ask, including yeah. us, right? That's mm-hmm. why we have this podcast. So yes. we can help people know <laughs> right. the questions know. to ask and know, be more educated as they go through their own personal NICU experience. But if you had one piece of advice for families who are getting started on their journey or are trying to figure out the questions to ask, what would it be for them? I would say to not be afraid to ask the question that the worst case scenario is the answer is no, there's no way we can do that. But if they're unsure, just to ask the question. Um, if the doctors or the nurses aren't able to give you an answer, ask for a caseworker or a social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my one piece of advice, getting that, um, that other person in there whose job it is to take 
care of the family and to make sure their needs are met is really important. And sometimes the doctors and nurses are so busy taking, you know, taking care of all the complex needs that are happening that they, it's not in the forefront of their mind to call that social worker or case manager to come down. So ask for that. And sometimes those support systems within the hospital also might be known as a family advocate. So it could be a social yes. worker, it could be a case manager, but it also could be a patient advocate or a family advocate who is on staff at the hospital. And we actually just shared our new advocacy checklist at todayisagoodday.org under Today is a Good Day resources. So you can definitely check that out. It has a just so many different questions that you can ask as you get started in your own personal journey, questions for the doctors, just to help you feel part of the care team, taking care yeah. of your child. So definitely that something for our amazing. listeners. I yes. wish if I had a list like that, it would have, I think of just going back to my first daughter, if I just would have had a list like that in front of me, it would have changed my experience so drastically. I can't even think about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely check that out and uh, have that list handy for anyone who, you know, might be looking as to what to Look, ask, ask for. And one of the things you've had to go through that not everyone did, you know, our, our NICU experience, we didn't have any other children at home, but here you are, you have your three beautiful daughters, each had their own experience for sure. But as you were going through your journey of welcoming your daughters and you had older children at home and you had to go to the NICU or the cardiac ICU, how did you navigate through that? It was really hard. <laughs> Honestly, it was probably one of the hardest parts. Um, if you talk about mom guilt, that was, you know, like if I could split myself in half, um, what child do I choose to be with? What children, like it's, it's really forcing you to make that choice. And with us, the hospitals were, you know, far away. We're, we're, it's a good, it's a good hour and a half into the city from where we live. And so, in you know, CHOP, where my daughter was um, for the longest period of time. And um, so it wasn't just like my husband, and I could do easy switch outs, you know, like it was, it was a long, and there's the parking garage and the traffic and all of that. So it really was kind of, we, we had to choose, we had to make that choice as to who was going where. Um, so I think that the way that I navigated through it in the end and got through it um, was having to give up a little of that control that a lot of us moms are used to having. What are you talking and, about, Danielle? Yeah, I know. We don't have that at all. <laughs> so I had to just give it up and realize I have a husband and dad to my children who is fully capable of being there for them and taking care of their emotional and physical needs. And even if they wanted mom instead at the moment, um, that he was there and that I had to lean on him and then also leaning on extended family as well. Cause we're blessed to have extended family close by who was, you know, jumped at whatever we needed. So I, it was hard cause I wanted to do it all. I wanted to be all the places, but giving up that control. And well, I think that's time. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and I do think we hear people have trouble saying, yes, I need the help. So how do you get over that hump? How do you say, yes, I need you to come and do my laundry or yes, we could use dinner tonight. How, how'd you get over that? Yeah. I, I think that it took way too long. Um, I think that I tried to just hold it all together and for longer than I needed to. And it wasn't until my, um, I call her my mom um, because my stepmom has been in my life since I was eight years old. Um, but she, um, 
it wasn't until she put her foot down and was like, you need help. We're going to we're going to get our church to help us and we're going to set up a meal mm -hmm. train and we're going to get family to step in. And we're going to, you know, all these people who love your family and care about you, they want to help. We're going to we're doing this because you need it. She's like, and I need it because she a lot <laughs> fell on her. Right. As her wanting to take care of her daughter. She, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was I think she's the one who finally was like, it's time. <laughs> So take advantage of the supports that are out there and just yeah. say yes to family, yes friends, anyone right who want to help you. you. They want to help you. And it's a lot of times place. people don't know what to do. I mean, I think back, my best friend, she yes. was there the day after our girls were born and she would say, I, I just don't know what to do for you. I mean, she didn't know how to help us. And I think people will ask, and while it's it just one more thing for us as the NICU parents to say, well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how I need help. I don't know what I need you to do. Those coming in to say, how can I help? Really, a lot of times don't necessarily know how to help you. So you having that in the back of your head, yes, I need someone to go get my groceries. Yes, I could use someone to vacuum my downstairs or to clean my bathrooms or to uh, help make dinner tonight, right? And just yeah. tell them exactly what you need in that moment. Yeah, because those little things, I mean, I, I remember... You know, sitting down at, at CHOP and being, yeah, I was worried about my daughter, but I was also thinking about like, you know, you th we think about a thousand things in our head at once. And I was thinking, I'd hear, oh, so-and-so stopping by for a meal. And I'd be like, oh gosh, they're stopping by my house. I wonder if anyone vacuumed or cleaned up the, the <laughs> yeah. clothes or is there laundry all over the place? Or did my oldest like just drop all of her like dirty underwear on the floor? Like, you know, you just think of like all the things that could be. And um, so, yeah come just pick up, can you just come like pick up around my house for me and <laughs> just make sure it looks somewhat presentable? Something as little as that is a huge help when you're not there to do it. What did graduation day look like for you? Do you remember? You know what? Um, I, what I remember and I know it should have been exciting, but it was scary, mm -hmm. right? Like it should have been Hey, I think of graduation day, that's exciting. But I was scared out of my mind because now I had to do this. I had to take care of this baby myself without being able to ask questions every two minutes. Um, and so it was, it was scary, scary times. I, I do remember the ride home. Um, you know, at that time I worked very part-time, um, but I did not, I didn't go back to work for, you know, I for longer than typical to, until I was really comfortable, you know, again, giving up a little of that control mm -hmm. and letting others take care of her. Um, but yeah, that it was scary. It would be the word that I would say. Well, and that's important to recognize as so many people say, I just want to get home. I just want to get home. I, I oftentimes joke, they had to kick us out of the NICU. Yes. I mean, we didn't leave, right? We, we went, <laughs> are you sure? Let's, how about if we order pizza for everyone? Right, exactly. We'll we'll say <laughs> I don't think it's time yet, yep. but it is, it's a, it's a, a day certainly mixed with mixed emotions of such joy that you've hit the milestone of being able to leave the NICU, but also a lot of fear, especially if you go home with equipment. Now, did you all have equipment when you came home from the NICU or did have you had equipment at any time? Yes, yeah, so we've had equipment when we did, when we came home there, um, none of our children had equipment that they were using at at that moment, which was, which was nice. Um, but we have had very constant use of halter monitors. So cardiac halter monitors. Um, so depending on which ones they gave us either three stickers or 
13 or 14 stickers, lots of wires. Um, they've come a long way in, in, um, in their ease, but um, with babies, it was really hard because there's all these wires and then I didn't sleep. So if it was a 14 day halter monitor, or a 30 day halter monitor, I didn't sleep because I was terrified they were going to choke themselves with the wires overnight. Like mm -hmm. we'd rubber band them. We, we try the things, but you still worry. And then as my children have gotten older, um, the halter monitors have now become for them kind of, they feel a stigma with them. They don't want to wear them to school and they have to. So I have to now fight with them about it. Um, and it becomes a big battle. Um, and, and I feel bad. I, I understand where they're coming from. I get it, but I still have to make them do it. And it, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard as a mom to know that that's something that they're not embarrassed of, but it's, it comes with questions from kids because kids are curious and they have questions and it's not something they can totally be hidden. Um, and their teachers need to know about it because if something's beeping or some, you know, comes off, like the, you know, the nurse needs to know. Um, so they feel that stigma. Um, so equipment can be, you know, a challenge and, you know, dependent on the age for sure. Well, and what you're talking about, I think, brings up such an important point because we oftentimes talk about the hospital experience, but that's, and we talk to families about this a lot, that is a chunk of time. That is one chapter. And there are so many different chapters that we all have in watching our children grow and what we go through and depending on what our child has gone through or children have gone through. But I think you bring up a good point around uh, the heart monitoring that you've had to do. And I'm wondering what advice you have for other families kind of navigating these different chapters with medically yeah. complex kids. Absolutely. Um, I would say first is that um, what I'm finding now is I waited too long um, for my daughter to get her any type of um, behavioral health help. I didn't think as a, that she needed it. And now I look back and I'm like, I should have got at three, I should have done like art therapy or something because now at eight, almost nine, um, she's really struggling. Like really, really struggling. And, um, so I would say knowing that there's the potential, um, for them to just have questions and have really big feelings is there. Mm -hmm. Um, so just to, just to be aware of that and to just, to just get them that help. And it, it doesn't need to look again, it can just be them drawing pictures and, and someone talking to them about the pictures they're drawing as simple as that. Um, and I think also for me, um, as my child's getting older, letting her, making sure she knows that she is safe, that her job is not to worry. My job right now is to, and the doctor's job is to take care of her. She has good doctors. Mom and dad are there to take care of her. We're making sure she's safe and she gets to just be an eight-year-old kiddo. And nice. that is what we're trying to um, do for her each day. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Have you seen with uh, what each of your daughters has just gone through, how has their experiences kind of impacted their relationship with one another? Have you seen anything with that? A lot. I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, um, they, they really um, do not get along. Um, and it's, it's a struggle every single day. Um, I, when deep down, if one of them is hurt or if one of them, you know, when there's time to, you know, my daughter with the heart condition, Alana, 
if she potentially is having a, like an actual symptom, a heart symptom or whatever, my other daughters are, are worried. They're terrified. They want to be there to help. They obviously love each other. There's no doubt there, but there's resentment, mm-hmm. resentment in just something as simple as like, I take, you know, the day sometimes I take her out of school. I don't work and I have to take her to her cardiologist appointment. And that's the day I spend with her and I don't mm-hmm. spend with them. And they resent that. Um, they resent that there's certain things that just, you know, as simple as like they're playing hide and seek and they want to, you know, they go ah! and scare her. And I'm like, you can't scare Alana. Like, and you know, I, I don't mean to get mean about it, but I, it, it, it scares me. So then, you know, like that they're doing that. Um, but then there's resentment the other way too, because I feel like then my daughter with these, the heart condition is jealous of things that the others can do that she can't. Mm-hmm. Um, she's almost nine. She's starting to ask about sleepovers. I, you know, and that at this, at this age, it would only be with those of like, we have those close friends who are like, you know, aunts and uncles kind of, um, but it's very hard to say, Hey, here's my daughter. And here is her portable defibrillator her AED just in case she has a cardiac arrest. Go ahead and take that on that responsibility. <laughs> That's a really hard thing to do. Um, whereas with the other two, you know, when the age is appropriate and those times come, yeah, go ahead or go have a play date. And now it becomes a, um, mom, why are you staying at the birthday party? You can just drop me off. All the other parents mm-hmm. just dropping you off. And if I don't know the parent, I have to stay because I need to have her AED there and I can't ask another parent to take on that responsibility. Um, so she sees that and then, you know, resents her sisters for being able to be kind of just dropped off and having a little more freedom. So it's something that we are trying to navigate and figure out where to loosen and tighten. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. And falling on you and your husband kind of going through those emotions, but also you shared at the beginning, you lost your mother early on. Yeah. And to the same heart condition that you have, that your daughter has, plus you're working with kind of navigating these these growing up years and wanting to do the things that that continue to have some restrictions around them and just to keep her safe. I mean, how do you personally navigate through all of those emotions and taking it each day? Yeah, um, I want to say that I'm doing great, <laughs> um, but the days are hard. Um, you know, I think that the way that I get through each day is to know that um, I need to take care of myself physically and emotionally um, in order to, so I can make sure that I am there for my daughters and they don't have the same experience that I did. So at the end of the day, I remind myself of that often. <laughs> and my mm-hmm. husband has to remind me of it some di- days as well. Um, that, you know, I have to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard when you have medically complex kids, I want to take care of them, but I have to kind of knowing that I have the heart condition that took my mother. Mm-hmm. I have to take care of me. Um, and it's a hard thing to do. Um, it feels selfish. Um, but, you know, I am so blessed to have the support of my husband who says to me, take care of you. You mm-hmm. need to take care of yourself. Kid, the kids need their mom. Um, so I think that that helps me through it. Um, 
the other piece that helps it be a little less scary, and I also explained to my daughter a lot as she's becoming more aware of the fact that she lost her grandmother to the same heart condition she has. It's starting, it, it's scary to her, um, is to let her know that, um, you know, my mom was actually undiagnosed and was not being treated. We are diagnosed, we are being treated, and we have the very best doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm, I, I've been through, I don't I would be embarrassed to tell you how many doctors that I've been through till I found ones that I felt like we have clicked with um, and have looked at us as kind of, you know, a whole person. Um, and, you know, so we have, we, I really do feel like we're being taken care of by the best of the best. Um, and unfortunately she did not because she passed away in 1984. Um, 1984 is when long QT syndrome was actually um, officially considered a diagnosis. So the doctors didn't know. Okay. There's nothing anyone could have done. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you know, my grandparents could have done. There's nothing the doctors could have done. No one knew it was a thing. She was diagnosed with epilepsy. So all of her wow. cardiac events that she survived, their heart went back in a normal sinus rhythm on its own, which was a miracle that she survived from nine when she became symptomatic to 18 is, um, is really a miracle. Um, we had you know, had her all those extra years. Um, but yeah, so those, I think that's kind of what helps me navigate a bit. Thank you for sharing all of that. And and also just look at the work that you're doing. So full disclosure here, Danielle is Mm -hmm. our program manager for today is a good day helping other families, but also through your volunteer work that you do with Simon's Heart. I mean, look at the impact that you are making on other families who are going through the same thing. Absolutely. It's, it's so important to me. I, I, it's, you know, I think that most of my weekends are spent volunteering in some way, shape or form. And it just, it's something that I, I enjoy because I think that I'm making, I, I know that we're making a difference. I get my girls involved in it um, just because I want to, if I can save a life or make somebody's experience just a little bit easier, um, it, it really means the world um, because I know going through the things that I have gone through, um, those out there advocating and spreading awareness have made a difference for me. Well, and I just want to come back to two things that you said when you're talking about your own self-care. One is finding the right medical team. So it is not always a once and done. Rarely is it a once and done mm-hmm. that you find someone that you really feel comfortable with, that you feel oh. is listening to you. So you you met with several doctors. You've gone through different doctors, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. But how important is that? Some, I think some people think, well, this is the doctor I was told to go to. It's okay to ask for second opinions or to do research and ask for others. Yeah, it was hard. And I honestly, like in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm going to hurt their feelings. They're going to mm-hmm. be mad at me. There's going to be a note in my chart. <laughs> like I thought all of those things, right? Like as I was like, no, you know, they'd be like, okay, hey, we're going to schedule your follow-up. And I'd say, oh, I want to, you know, I actually I had already like, you know, pre-done who, if I, if this one didn't work out or we didn't click with, who would be the next person I'd want to see, you know, so actually I want to schedule with so-and-so, oh, we typically keep you with the same doctor. And they, it really kind of was a struggle back and forth. And, you know, I had to really explain myself as, as to wanting to make the change and how, and why I wanted to make that change. And my answer always was that, um, I, we needed a doctor that really kind of clicked with our family that really listened and really understood mm-hmm. what our needs were. And that is what I was looking for. Um, so yeah, it took us 
um, plane rides away to find yes. <laughs> the, 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 um, the doctor that, um, that really did, um, really did change my life, change my treatment plan and change my, my life. Um, and is also takes care of Alana. And that's how important it is to make sure that yeah. you find the right medical team. Yes. And the other piece I just wanted to mention, and we talk about this a lot with families, but the self-care piece for you to be the best mother that you can be that self-care for you to make sure that you are staying healthy, you are taking care of yourself. And look, your, your daughters are, are obviously many years out of the NICU, but we yes. talk about this for families that are going through the NICU. It is so important that you take care of yourself as you are going through those very stressful and overwhelming days. And we talk about it a lot, but you've got to do it, right? You mm -hmm. got to do it. Yes. During the NICU, during that journey, a, a week after, a month after, a year after, years after, yes. um, it's so important to remember. Um, yep. And yeah, it's not as easy to do when you're, when you're in it. Um, but if you have that, if you have that support person um, or, you know, that village that's willing to do what they can, you know, take that moment to take a long, warm, a, a warm shower, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay. Do that. If that's, if that's all it is, it, it's something. All right. My last question for you today. How are the girls? So the girl, the girls are great. Um, they are sassy. Every every single one of them, all three of them, um, they're sassy. They're outspoken. They advocate for themselves in every way, shape, or form. Um, when they advocate a little too much to me for what they want, <laughs> my husband always laughs and says, "You created little monsters." Um, so. Um, but they're doing well. Um, medically, they are doing well. Um, Alana, like I said, is really struggling um, emotionally. Um, so we're working um, to get her um, the care that she needs um, to make sure that she knows that she is safe um, and that she is taken okay. care of. Um, she, you know, in all honesty, she's at the age where my mom became symptomatic. So right now, this specific year is, um, is a tough one for me. Um, mm -hmm. However, um, I'm so happy to say that she has not been symptomatic and That's that great. is a huge blessing. So to the, right now she's, she's healthy. Wonderful. And so we're happy to just see that continue. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your honesty, sharing your story with us. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Yes. Thanks for having me, Martha. Thank you for tuning in to the NICU Today podcast brought to you by Today is a Good Day. Learn more at todayisagoodday.org.